Well, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I hope that you are, your excitement for Christmas is growing. We kind of maybe helped that with the decoration in the lobby and uh, in, on the stage here to say Christmas is coming. Do I get an amen for that? I just remember as, as a boy, young boy in San Jose, California, you know, we, Thanksgiving and, and all the food and, and family, a lot of family I never saw until the holidays, which was always awkward. But then after Thanksgiving, it was like, oh, bring on Christmas. Bring it on. And, you know, counting down, exciting. And, and, and the worst thing I ever did, the worst thing I ever did ruined my Christmas. I went searching for my gifts, uh, you know, and I just, I found them. And as soon as I saw them all those days for Christmas, we're, we're a letdown because I already knew it. But we're in this, with this series, we're wrapping up this, this series in the book of Revelation, God's redemptive plan is coming to a close. And last week, we ended on such a high with Jesus is coming back, the triumphant return of Jesus and setting up his kingdom for a thousand years. And we left with the song, Jesus is coming again. And I mean, if you were here, it's like, yes, we love that song, which will come back next Sunday. But it was like this high, woo! And then next Sunday, woohoo! I get to talk about it, you know, Buzz Lightyear's thing of to infinity and beyond. He was a great theologian, he was. And about heaven. But before we get there, we got to deal with some serious business. And, and, and this is not fun to teach, but it's so important. I mean, eternally important to teach this today. And the reason why great news is so great is because it usually follows things that are difficult. It's like when, you're, when you go through all these losing seasons, and then you finally win up here... It makes the win so much greater and more memorable when there's a struggle. So uh, a, few, a few months ago, I, I met a, a young man who first time walked in at, at Grace Point, And I heard the story that, that he had heard about Jesus over the years. And he had a grandma who kept praying for him. So grandmas, you keep praying. And he had praying and praying and praying. And he lived, you know, he lived, he lived about 30 minutes away. And, and, and then he came to the point where he just he surrendered and he trusted in Jesus as his Savior. And he told his grandma. And then, and then after a week or so later, he just felt from God, which of course it is from God, you need to start going to church. So he showed up here and I said, well, why Grace Point? And he goes, I, don't, I was just driving by. And I was like, it was like God saying, go in there. So he pulled in. And so he shared something he was going through in his life that morning, right back there. And I said, you know, it's interesting. I just taught on that last week. And he goes, I know. But I said, but you, you, this is your first Sunday. He goes, I know. But I watched last week's episode online. That cracked me up. I think, message from God. <laughs> last week's episode, you know, is awesome. I love that, just that fresh, fresh take. So with that in mind, last week's episode in Revelation is Jesus, is Jesus came back. And, and, and Armageddon was over in a day. And Jesus, as soon as his, his, his feet touched the Mount of Olives, split in two, earthquakes, city of Jerusalem rises, uh, enemies defeated, uh, Satan is, is thrown into the abyss for a thousand years, and Jesus sets up his thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus on this earth. And, and it just, everything changes. I mean, for, for 6,000 recorded years of human history, I mean, government after government, empire after empire, kingdom after kingdom, 
you know, just ruling and putting people in slavery and it's all about power and money and, and there's slavery and death and wars, wars, wars. And now Jesus for a thousand years, everything's changed. He restores this earth from all the judgments of God and tribulation and, and he locks up Satan and, and there's believers here on the earth who survived the tribulation and, and then there's saints who have died or been raptured away. They come back with glorified bodies ruling and reigning with Jesus, and Jesus reigns with justice and righteousness. His central location is Jerusalem in the temple. He lives, literally lives in the temple. People come from all over the globe to come and worship Jesus in Jerusalem. And it's just, everything changed. And one of the biggest changes is that the earth is finally at rest from war. That's how earth is known. All the weapons of war are destroyed, just think of over a thousand years, all, all these, the, these people who still have earthly bodies, not, not you know, risen bodies, but earthly bodies is still sin, but they have babies and children. Just think, generation after generation after generation over a thousand years, there's going to be so many generations that they have no concept, no knowledge, no awareness of what's a gun? What's a tank? Just nothing, no knowledge. Nuclear, wep, wep, I don't understand what you're talking about. Because the earth is at peace. Animals, the enmity between animals and human beings is gone. I mean, Jesus sets up his reign. Now, we live in a culture that, you know what, if, if the environment or the circumstance was better, people would behave better. You know, and, and if things were, you know, just better, you know, then, then you know, because people have a good heart and, you know, the good intentions, but, you know, but, you know, you know their environment is, has negatively affected them. And, and that part is true, but we think that if we can just change the atmosphere environment, then people will just get along. People will just, you know, no problems, no, no conflict. Well, for a thousand years, you can't get any closer to perfection than that. It's a little taste of the Garden of Eden, although there's still sin here. But because Jesus is on the throne ruling and reigning with righteousness and justice, all the stress, all the conflict, all the division that, that we see and is growing around the world just dissipates. For a thousand years, Jesus is reigning. And everything is vastly, vastly different. But then things change, and they change quickly at the end of that thousand years. Now, if you're taking notes, here's the scene. Let me set you up the scene here as we're nearing this end of the series, which we'll finish next week. One final battle, yes, there's one final battle, and it reveals the DNA of the human heart. And then judgment day arrives. Before eternity starts, there must be a final judgments. So if you join in, in, me, in Scripture with me, Revelation chapter 20, we'll pick up in verse 7. A little sobering, it says, verse 7, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. It means battle against God. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth 
and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city, that's Jerusalem, that he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. See, the DNA of Satan has not changed. He is a liar. Jesus called him the father of all lies. He is the deceiver of mankind. He takes God's word, God's tr truth, and turns it, twists it, tries to mangle it and deform it. Goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where they, he went to Adam and Eve and lied to them. God didn't say that. God didn't say that. And then, and then he started deceiving them that, you know, God's holding out on you. That he, does, he knows that, he, that you will be like God. I mean, they're thinking another God, but he's keeping you down. He's holding you back. God's horrible. God's this. God's that. Planted those seeds which led to sin and rebellion against God. So after a thousand years, Yes, there's sin, but it's just so, it's, it's, it's so minimal because of Jesus reigning. But after a thousand years, God, and only he knows why, lets Satan out of that prison. And in a short period of time, he goes around and deceives mankind. We're talking in the masses, masses. I mean, the earth has repopulated with very little death, Isaiah talks about. If someone dies, it's like 100 years old, and that's a shocker. So very little death. There's, there's, the population is, is filling the earth, and the earth is healthy and balanced and all that. But Jesus goes out, I mean, sorry, Satan goes out and deceives the masses and does the same thing. Just, just use your brain back to Genesis. He's going to lie about God and lie about God's truth and deceive them about the intentions of God. And he turns the masses against God, and they're marching from around the globe in all directions to Jerusalem to, to fight against God himself. Again, in a pretty much perfect environment, it reveals the heart of man. That we don't want God over us. We want to be in charge. We don't want to surrender to a, you know, a superior God than us. We want to be God. And what this was, it just exposes the heart of mankind that even in the most perfect environment, because of sin, any single one of us, every single one of us are capable of doing any type of wickedness. And that's what shows up. And then God deals with it. God deals with it. Now, uh, let's continue in verse, verse 11. Then, John says, I, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. 
we re- often refer that to as hell. Hell is the, the, the kind of the easy general uh, term. But the lake of fire is that forever, ever place of damnation and judgment. Now, before we can start infinity and beyond, before we can talk about heaven, sin has to be dealt with once and for all. And there's going to be two judgments before eternity starts. Two judgments. And every single person on every single row and every single person watching online whenever or wherever you're watching, every single one of us will be in one of those two judgment arenas. Judgment arenas that I will talk about. Let let me tell you what Jesus said, talking about the end. There will be a dividing and separating of people for judgment. He says, when the man of God, a, a son of man, that's Jesus, comes in his glories and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he, Jesus, will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We're talking all of mankind who has ever lived. From every nation, from every tribe, every tongue, every, every, every ethnicity, everybody will be gathered together and Jesus will do the dividing. Those over here to his right, those over here to his left. There is no vagueness in this. There is no nuance. One of the most favorite words in our culture today, everything is nuanced, therefore we can't make a hard decision. There's no nuance here. Jesus does the dividing, and I'll tell you based on what. Jesus says this, then the king, referring to himself, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you uh, since the creation of the earth. Here is your inheritance. It's a kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom inheritance. This is what we call heaven forever and ever, forever, forever, ever and ever and ever. That's to those who are on his right. Now to those on his left. He said this. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Blessed, cursed, forever in heaven, forever in hell. There's no middle ground. There is no middle ground. Now, we, especially in the West, uh, we have this American arrogance with religion, like, I'm good. Uh, You know, I've said the Lord's Prayer, go to church now and then, or I go on a consistent basis and I do good things and this stuff. I'm not like her. I'm not like him. I'm not like them. You know, I'm good. I'm good. Well, Jesus says something that is one of the most, and I, in my estimation, the most sobering passage in Scripture about who is going to go here and there's going to be people shocked that they're heading in this direction when they thought they were heading toward heaven. Jesus said something very profound in chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, to me will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those, back up please. But only the one who does the will of my father 
who is in heaven? What's the will of my father in this situation? What does God want, God's will, what does God want from everyone regarding Jesus? If you do what the, the father wants, his will regarding Jesus, will determine if you're in this direction or that direction, heaven or hell. He says to, to, to the left, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Just because we say, Lord, Lord, just because we go to church, just because we know the Lord's Prayer, just because we know Bible verses, just because we went to VBS when we were a kid. What did you do with Jesus? Either he's your savior or he's not. Savior or he's not. So this, we talk about the, the judgment, it's called the judgment seat of Christ, okay? This is for believers only. This is for believers only. That means if you're a believer and follower of Jesus, every single one of us over here will be at what is called the judgment seat of Christ. It's for believers only. In, in that Roman Greek culture, uh, they, they, it would be referred to as the bema seat. And it was the judgment seat. Now what it is, it's not judging to damn people like you were over here, now you get on this line over here. No, it's we're going we're gonna to judge what happened, what, what you did. And the Bema seat was like the, the Greek games, which we now refer to as the Olympics, right? This is the reward ceremony. But you're going to be tested, right? And they're tested by stopwatches and timers and, and all, all sorts of things. They're going to be tested to, to find out who actually wins the, the medals. Actually, I don't know if they had those green cheap wreaths, but it was something to, to get be rewarded. This is what the judgment seat of Christ is. Now, what is it based on? It's based on the foundation of Jesus as your Savior. Not church, not religion. Did you trust in Jesus? So Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth and they were fighting each other and you know, all, all sorts of divisions, he said, now, I am building on a foundation that's of Christ. I am not the foundation. Apollos isn't the foundation. Peter's not the foundation. The foundation of, is Christ. So with that backdrop, he says this about the coming Bema seat, judgment seat of Christ. He says, if anyone builds on this foundation, Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for that it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will, be, will test the quality of of each person's work. Don't get tripped up by this word. This is, has nothing to do with earning or working your way into heaven. You're already going there. All right? You're already blessed. You're going to go into your inheritance. All right? Don't, don't be deceived by that or tricked by that. It would be like we're all Olympians and we got the sweats to show it. Right? And so you will forever be, if you make the Olympic team, and I, I painted with a guy who made two Olympic teams as a shot putter. He was huge. I was not. And, and, but he, was, he will always be remembered as an Olympian. Dave Davis, an Olympian shot putter. And no one can take that away. But not everyone who goes on the Olympic teams actually comes back with some medals. Right? 
This is, what we're, this is what it is. Let me tell you what it is. It's for believers only, and the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ. Here's what the purpose is. Uh, I'm going to hang, hang not, I'm going to tease you. I will tell you the purpose in just a minute, but I forgot a verse. If what has been built survives, what you did on that foundation of Jesus, if it survives, the builder, the believer, will receive what? A reward. If it is burned up, the builder, the believer, will, will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Does it, you don't lose your salvation. You just didn't get the medal. And by the way, there's no participation trophies. Okay? <laughs> yet, he's trying to be really clear. You don't get kicked out of this group and sent over here to hell. You're starting to be saved. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. Okay, so this judgment seat of Christ is for believers only. Now I'm going to tell you the purpose. I'm going to tell you the purpose. The purpose is not to punish unfaithfulness, but to reward faithfulness. Not to punish unfaithfulness, but to reward. See, judgment is not always negative. I'm going to make a judgment call. You win! That's a judgment call. So if we say, you won, that means you're going to get rewarded. All right, you won. You came in fourth place. Golf clap for you. Okay? That's what we do with the, you know, gold, silver, and bronze. But just, just, just think, it's, it's not going to be, oh, my gosh, I'm horrible. No. I made the Olympic team. But as we put all of our, what we've done for Jesus while we are a believer, we put it through the fire. It's tested through fire. And only what, what really matters, and it was done for Jesus, not for ourselves, is like, I, I served in nursery. Praise Jesus, you wiped dirty butts. All right, that's awesome. But why did you do it? Did you do it for Jesus, or did you do it for like, look at me, I'm awesome. If that's just like, look at me, I serve Jesus, I'm awesome. Uh, that's going to be burnt like wood, hay, or straw. No, you no points for that. But I served Jesus and no one knew. God did. God did. And when that comes through, I, I just, think of, just think of the whole arena full of Olympians and then they give gold medals out. This is what they did at the Bema seat, the judgment seat. There were, uh, you know, Olympians going, oh, I should have worked out a little bit more. <laughs> I should have got up at five in the morning to start my swim laps. Man, if I, ah, oh, ah. Oh. But I'm still an Olympian. That's the mindset. That's the mindset of this. Now, Scripture tells us what we're going to be rewarded for. See, God is a good God. God doesn't say, I want you to do this, and then he doesn't tell us what to do. So how we win. How do we win? Scripture tells us. Here's, I'll just give you five examples from Scripture of what we're going to be rewarded for. And good looks have nothing to do with it. Okay? It's, here's, some, here's some examples. Um. How we use our time. Guess what we all have? Time. We don't know how much. But did you use the time you had on this earth and this body, building on a foundation of Jesus, and you used your time to advance the kingdom of Jesus? If you did, woo, you're going to get rewarded. First Thessalonians says, well, how would you use your money? 
All of us have access to money. Some of you are like, I just babysat and I made $15. God lets you have that. Some of you get a paycheck. Some of you, whatever. It doesn't matter how you get wealth. All wealth comes from God and he gives it to who he desires. So then as a believer, I am building my foundation on Jesus Christ. Well, then how did I use the money that God gave me? Yes, I got to provide for my family. Yes, I should plan for the future. That's being a good steward. But did I spend it all on myself? Or was it part of it? I get to invest in God's kingdom. Those who have used their money for advancing the kingdom on the foundation of Jesus will be rewarded for that. And then Daniel, Daniel's near the end of his life, and it talks about God rewarding those who seek the salvation of lost. Guess what we all have? Time, some access to money, and we all have people that we know. We all have people that we live with, work with, you know, live next to. We all have people, but you'll be rewarded if you're like, God, give me an opportunity to share about Jesus. Give me an opportunity to invite them to Grace Point so they can hear the gospel. God, you got people in my life. You assigned people to me. What did I do with it for your glory? If you did it, if you went for it, you'll be rewarded with it. Two more things. First one's kind of convicting. Uh, all the words we spoke will be judged. Some of you are like, oh, no. Okay, it's the positive things. Every time you worship, and it was from a heart of worship. Like my dad couldn't sing jack. He had one bad ear, so that threw him all off. And he's singing in church, and I'm a middle school uh, kid, and I'm like, I don't like church and all, all those old hymns. And I turn to look at my dad, and he's like, Victory in Jesus! And it sounded horrible. But he made an impression on my soul that day. Because I was ready to quit church. And I looked at my dad who couldn't sing a lick. And I, I thought this, I still remember this where I was. If he's in, I'm in. When you worship God, it's coming from your soul. You're going to get rewarded for that. When you encourage someone with scripture, when you write someone a note of encouragement and, and you, you push them in the, in the direction of Jesus, the way Jesus would do, all that stuff's being write, written down. Be rewarded with that. And then just as a whole, how'd you serve the Lord? Did you serve, did you serve the Lord? Were you a participator or a spectator when it came to all the opportunities that God has given to you. By the way, we don't just do the game day stuff here at Grace Point because we, we, we want this and that. I, I, we, we're trying to help you. We're going to set you up to serve Jesus. One day I was pulling out of the church here. And my oldest daughter was a teenager. And we're just pulled out of the church. And you had to go from like zero to 50 before getting hit. And, and I said, Ashley, why do you think dad does what he does? For the money? I'm like, church doesn't pay that good. Okay. I said, I'm in it for the rewards. And she said this, can you really say that? I said, it's biblical. It's in the Bible. All through, God is waiting to reward those who have been faithful with all the things and all the opportunities. That's the judgment seat of Christ. If you're a believer... Every one of us will be, will be there standing before Jesus. And we'll find out. Some of us will be like, oh, he noticed that? Oh my, oh my goodness. Or, dang it. 
could have, should have, would have. I don't want to be in that group. I'm looking for the rewards. That's that judgment. Now let's get a little more serious. Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. That is for every single unbeliever that has ever lived. And it talks about those he is sitting on the throne. Well, who is sitting on the throne? Jesus answered that question in John. He says, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son, referring to himself. Peter remembers what Jesus told him. Peter said this, uh, he, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. So when we as Christians face the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus, we're answering to Jesus and he is going to reward us. That, I think it's going to be awesome. But the, on the great white throne judgment, every single human being that's ever lived, will live that will face Jesus on the throne. The Jesus that they rejected, the Jesus that they, they mocked, the Jesus that they ridiculed, the Jesus that they made fun of of people worshiping Jesus. He will be there and you'll still see the scars on his hands and probably the, the, the nail wounds on his feet. And they won't be mocking him. In fact, that's what, what, we're, what Philippians says, that every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And it's not, Lord, so I can get out of hell and uh, go to heaven. That, 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 that deadline's passed. Is they will still kneel and bow. Jesus was Lord. He was divine. He was the son of God. And they'll face it. Verse 12 of 20 is so sobering but very clear. John says this at this great white throne judgment. He said, I saw the dead, great and small, famous, popular, nobodies, every, every human being standing before the throne, every human being that has not trusted in Jesus. And the books, plural, were opened. I'll explain those. After those books were opened, another book, single book, another book was opened, which is the book of life. Go back to these books. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book. So every human being that did not receive Jesus would stand one-on-one, face before him. Peter describes it as everything is exposed. You, you have nowhere to go. You have nowhere to hide. You're not, be, you're not there with your parents or your spouse or your friends. You're there one-on-one with Jesus, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, lord of lords, now the judge. And the books are open. The books, a lot of theologians believe, is every sin you've ever committed. Because we're judged by what we have done, right? Every lie you told. Every church pen you stole. Every disrespectful word that you said to your parents. Every lustful thought. And you're like, oh my goodness, yeah. The books are open, going over them. Every reaction and of anger that was out of sin and you hurt people. Every envy and every jealousy and every, every, every sin exposed. I, I, I also believe that, that, that what we had done is also what, what, we, what, we had, what we done is rejected Jesus. Meaning you had an opportunity at VBS, Vacation Bible School as a kid. You heard the gospel and you went, eh, I don't know, 
understand. You get in junior high and you hear the gospel again. And you're like, oh, my friends might laugh at me. I'm not going to accept Jesus. You go to summer camp and there's present, gospels presented to trust in Jesus. And you're like, oh, I don't think that's really cool. You, you get older and you see on TV Billy Graham, you know, or, or some, some presentation of the gospel. And you're like, yeah, I'll do it another time. You get invited to church and, and you hear the gospel time and time again. You say, no, that's what you've done. And the books are all open. Here's the purpose of the books. The books will confirm people's sinfulness. See, as Americans, we're like, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. At least I don't vote like that party. I'm not that bad. I'm not like that neighbor. I'm not that friend. Oh, I, I, I'm not that bad. And we compare to each other. But when we, com we are compared against a holy God, and line after line, page after page, head will be down like, oh my gosh, I am so guilty. Woe is me. So after the books are open and we're judged by what th those who didn't trust in Christ, judged for what they had done, then the book is open. And that is the final confirmation is this. Here's the book. The book of life It will confirm if they trusted in Christ. BBS, no, you didn't do that. Camp and look in names, names, names. You never trusted in Christ. Your name is not written in the book of life, eternal life and heaven life book. And that's where Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. I wanted to be your savior. All those sins I died for. I bled for. <laughs> I wanted to forgive you. It was there. It was a free gift. And time and time again, you said, no. 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 I never knew you. Depart from me. This, is a, this whole issue of hell is so avoided today. Uh, a couple years ago, we had this series called Hell no. Yes, I actually had a series called Hell No. Hell dot 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 no. The worst thing you could ever say, the worst, the most vile thing you could ever say to anybody is go to hell. Because when we unpacked it, it's the worst thing you could ever say. So we answered a couple questions. I'll just briefly review. The first question is, does hell really exist? Seriously? You know, even you go to some seminars and like, well, it's just kind of symbolic and kind of figurative. And Jesus didn't say, say that. He talked about hell, literal hell, more than he talked about heaven. Why? Because he was there to save us from it. Salvation means saved from our sins that will send us to hell. Separated from God forever and ever and ever. Don't tell Jesus it was figuratively, just symbolically. Here's why hell is real. Because God is 100% love, but God is also 100% holy. That's why both heaven and hell exist. We love this part of God. God is loving. Yes, he is. But he is also holy. Holy, holy. When it comes to our sin, I'll give you some good news and, and, and kind of truth. A kind of reality check. Here's, here's it is. That our sin, your sin, my sin, our sin is not too great that God's love can't forgive it. Can I get an amen on that? And it's like, but God, but God, but God, if you knew all that I've done, he goes, oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I was there. 
His love. It doesn't matter how much we've done. God goes, I love you enough. My forgiveness will cover that. But sin is too great that God's holiness can't ignore it. God can't do that. So God has options. We talked about that. God has options. And answering the question, how could a loving God ever send anybody to hell? And that is, this right here is the number one stumbling block for people that will, will never be in heaven because they couldn't, you know, I don't think I can believe in a God that does that. I don't think a God who's loving would do that. God's love doesn't want to do that, but God's holiness demands it to deal with sin. And, he, and don't believe that God, God, you know, someone will face damnation and judgment like, I never heard I never knew, I never, God, I tell you, God is a very creative God and God is a persistent God. And all across the globe, God's truth is there and presented to them for an opportunity to receive him. Even creation declares the, the wonder and glory and love of God. No man is without excuse, Romans 1 says. But God has options with this whole sin problem. Here's one option is God can just ignore sin. Just ignore it. Turn the other you know, turn the, turn the blind eye. It would be like someone proposing, saying, marry me. Oh, you want to give up all your boyfriends or girlfriends? Oh, that's okay. Why don't we just all live together? I'll be married to you, but all your lovers can move in with us. That's absurd. Jesus would never say that. See, see we, we, we think that you know, there's just no boundaries. No, every relationship has boundaries. Every relationship has conditions. So God can't just ignore sin. The second thing is God could say, the other option is to redeem sin again. Redeem sin again. It'd be like, uh, marry me and I'll, or I'll lock you up until you learn how to love me. This right here is the unbiblical, unscriptural teaching of a place called purgatory. Sorry, purgatory is not found in the Bible. Purgatory is the thought of teaching of, uh, that as well if you if you don't trust in Christ, then you'll be sent to purgatory and you have time to kind of figure it out, work it out, and basically earn your salvation. That is in violation of so many scriptures, uh, verses in scripture. That's like, marry me or I'll lock you up and give you time to figure out how to love me. See, Jesus died on the cross once, Hebrews says, and once and for all. He, he died there to redeem us, meaning to buy us back, to pay for our sin and place it on himself. He's not doing it again. He did it once for all, Scripture says. The third option regarding sin is the containment of sin. We're going to about, next week we're going to talk about all the believers start in heaven. And there won't be an ounce, a molecule, a trace of sin. So God chooses this path. Marry me or go your way. And trust me, God has proposed to every human being over and over and over again. And he's going to choose to say, I'm going to bless those who trusted me and I've got to contain sin and separate sin and death and the rejection of Jesus over here. Ultimately it comes to the will of the Father is this. I want you to trust in my son as your savior. If we do that will of the father, we'll go to heaven. 
If we don't, we say no to Jesus, we'll say yes to help. God will not send anybody there. People will choose that destination. And I'm pleading with you. I don't assume everybody that's listening to this is a believer. There's too many people who think they're going to heaven, but they've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe today's your day of salvation. Bow your head and close your eyes. Bow your head and close your eyes. It'd be inappropriate. It'd be wrong. It'd be defrauding for me to talk about this and not give people a chance to say yes to Jesus. If that is your desire, I'm not saying yes to church or religion or good works. That will never get you into heaven. But if you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, you only have to do it once. Say, Jesus, from your heart to God, he knows what, if you're serious. Jesus, I'm a sinner. You know it. I know it. People that live with me know it. And my sin has separated me from you, a holy, righteous God. But by faith, I receive the gift of salvation that only Jesus provides by his death on the cross and his resurrection that proved he was the son of God. And today, I say yes to Jesus. Be my savior. Oh God, you know who just prayed that prayer. You, just, you know who, whose name just got written into the book of life. And I, God, I pray that you draw many to, to you before you come back so they don't have to go to such a horrible place. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, we say, amen. I say all of that from a heart of love and concern. And if you said yes to Jesus today, if you're here in the room, we just recently added this QR code. You can scan that. That'll get to us and we'll send you some. Here, here's some steps to take to learn your new relationship with Jesus. Learn about it. If you're online, our new website, if you go to online tab, click there. It says, I said yes to Jesus today. Click that. It'll take you to the same place. We want to help you learn, uh, meet, know, and then follow Jesus here at Grace Point. Well, I am excited next week. We're going to finish out with eternity and, uh, and heaven. I'm getting to my favorite, favorite, favorite subject is not the 49ers. It is heaven. Heaven. It, everything is heaven. We'll talk about that. I'll tease you. Actually, I'll tease you with that next Sunday.